All right, thank you everyone for joining us today for the Surge Group webinar. We always enjoy having you here. Um, I have a little presentation, which I did not pull up yet. I will kill some time. Thank you. By doing a song, do, 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 do. Um, <laughs> we are excited. Uh, it's We're heading into the holidays, y'all. Um, so that's exciting or stressful or both for most of us. Um, so we might touch on that topic a little bit here and there. We do have a couple questions uh, from SIRS group members um, that I will uh, will be tackling first after JC starts the, or finishes uh, the presentation part. Awesome. So, yeah. All right, so welcome to the SIRS group fall 2023 Q&A webinar. Um, just a little context for anyone who hasn't joined us on one of these webinars yet. Um, I'm JC. And I'm Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> and my hair is different. Yes. Yes. We need to replace your headshot here. Yeah. But uh, we were diagnosed with SIRS around the same time. And we were just so thankful to have each other through that process because with uh, anyone with SIRS might know it, it can be a little overwhelming when you first start digging into all of the information about SIRS. And we were so grateful to have each other that we realized other people might be looking for a similar experience where you have a community of support. And so that is why we created the SIRSgroup.com. So it is an online forum. You go in and you can make posts and it's all sorts of posts. Like people will ask questions about their protocol or they'll ask for specific supplement rep recommendations and then people like will share wins or if they're feeling a little set back we can have that encouraging uh, correspondence with them so it really is a community of support and then we also offer coaching one-on-one -on -one coaching and we do have a resources section where we can kind of point you in the right direction if you're looking for a remediator or you're looking for a vacuum a HEPA vacuum etc uh, Barbara did you want to add anything to that no, I think you covered that beautifully. Um, well, one uh, one special note to uh, to remind everyone we we are adding quite a bit uh, for the rest of well for for here on out. We're going to be doing more group calls. Uh, we're having classes now. We already had our first one, and those will be recorded as uh, additional resources for members going forward. All right, let's jump into the Q and A. Awesome. Uh, so the first, we will hit the questions from uh, the SERS group members first. Uh, first one is uh, tips on explaining to an employer that just because they did an air test on a 20-year-old severely water-damaged building and results said it was good, it's still not safe for me. Uh, I've been spending eight hours a day in this building and experienced sinus issues and mild headaches. I attributed body pain to starting the job, but likely mold exposure too. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, um, so if anyone's unaware, survivingmold.com was created by Dr. Shoemaker. And Dr. Shoemaker is the one who created the Shoemaker Protocol, which is the only clinically proven path to healing from SIRS. And the clinically proven part is the really important piece of this conversation because survivingmold.com is set up as like the research conglomerate for the Shoemaker Protocol. So if you're ever looking for like scientific literature, that has um, been used in legal cases before. If you go to survivingmold.com, they have a lot of papers there. And so I'm pretty sure they have a paper on why air samples are not 
the gold standard for standard for SARS patients and why you would want to do something like an ERMI or Hertz me instead. Um, that said, we know that, you know, more recently we found that a lot of people are reacting to actinos more than the actual mycotoxins. Um, so I'm not sure if they have updated papers on the actinos piece, but I'm like 90% sure they have one on why air samples are not as um, indicative of the environment that you're in as the ERMI or the Hurts Me Too. Beautifully said, JC. And I will, um, if I can later today, I will try to find that link somewhere and I'll post it in the search group for you, uh, Tiffany, who asked that question. Um, we also, the other question um, is a multi-part. So I will run through it uh, real quick. Let's see. Uh, she wants to know the best timing of supplements when on CSM, mainly regarding phospholipids, vitamins, and RG3. Should they be taken an hour before CSM, for example? I'll stop there and continue after. <laughs> so CSM, for anyone who's not aware, is one of the biotoxin binders that is effective at removing biotoxins. And the reason we talk about biotoxin binders separately from generic binders you might be familiar with, like charcoal and clay, is because biotoxin binders are appropriately charged and have the right receptor cell size in order to grab the biotoxins and help you eliminate them. So with that, when you're taking any sort of binder, you kind of want to stagger it with your supplementation so that you're not binding your supplements and immediately removing them from your body. It's just how can you make this as effective as possible? So you have what we would call like your ideal situation where you take your supplements two hours away from your CSM dose. So CSM is typically taken half hour before food. So the way that I would structure this, because I wake up god awful in the morning, um, I would take my supplements at 6 a.m. And then I would take my CSM dose at 8 a.m. And then I would eat my breakfast at 8.30 a.m. So that would be an example. You could do it the other way too, where you take your CSM at 6, eat at 6.30, and then maybe you go ahead and have your supplements at 8 a.m. So you could pace it either way, but that's the gold standard, right? And then anything that deviates from that is not like, oh gosh, it's never going to work. It's just like, that's less ideal. So the closer you can get to two hours, the better. But I understand, like, especially with people who are taking different kinds of medications. Uh, for example, at one point in my SARS journey, I also had to take steroids, which had like staggered time with supplementation. And at that point, I had to reduce everything to an hour and a half between doses. So it wasn't as ideal, but I still healed. Yeah. Huge takeaway from that is do the best you can because I know that does sound overwhelming and building habits uh, takes time and building the habit of taking supplements and medication on a particular timetable is absolutely a habit that you can kind of like ramp into and just, yeah, do the best you can and, uh, and, and go for those ideals though, when, when it possible and life is perfect. Um, the next part is, do you have to pass the visual test uh, referring to the VCS test or at survivingmold.com? There's also a vision contrast sensitivity test there, uh, before moving on to Marcon's treatment. Uh, I have done the Marcon's test and it says I have MRSA or MRSA. Do you uh, start tackling that now? Do you recommend being on the binders for around a month before doing the visual? So some of that does uh, tread into medical advice. So <laughs> first and foremost, work with a SIRS a shoemaker certified practitioner, that is the most important aspect of all of that. They should lead you through that process. Um, that said, not everyone will pass the VCS test or vision test um, at all. 
I think JC is someone who, uh, because of the, I, I won't speak for you, JC, go ahead. If you want to elaborate. Yeah, I have visual issues. So I have cataracts in my eyes, so I'll never, I'll likely never pass the visual contrast sensitivity test. Um, but all of my blood work and symptoms indicate that I have healed. Right. Perfect. So you can go by exactly the blood work symptoms and your doctor will help you navigate that part. Um, as far as, uh, do you recommend being on the binders for a month before doing the visual? Um, that's up to you. I know it costs money every time you test the vision test again. Um, let your doctor give you that direction. It's like 15 bucks. It's cheaper if you buy them in, in bulk. Um, so if you want to test more often because you want to like hopefully pass as soon as possible, if you're one of those people who can pass, then then yeah. I mean, I think I, gosh, I took the vision test maybe like four times in the span of two months um, just to like really check to see and check if I was in exposure, all that kind of fun stuff. So you can kind of take Again, I would go with what your doctor is saying. Um, they usually tell you when they want you to test as you're going through the process. Um, the next part is, can you start tackling Lyme, et cetera, at the beginning? And again, timing-wise, when would you take the supplements or medication? I think um, anytime we're talking about like the pacing of the protocol, a lot of times this is going to be very bio-individual. Different people tolerate the binders at different um uh, wellness levels. Um, some people feel really bad on the binders, so they might need to be on them longer before they can move on to other steps. Um, it depends on the length and strength of your exposure, like how much toxic buildup you have in your body. So it's impossible to say like, this is a standard amount of time. And that's why the Shoemaker protocol is built around all of these, uh, I call them gates. So you like pass the blood work, that's the gate to get to the next section. That said, different providers are going to have slightly different experiences with the actual patient experience in terms of, okay, that's the blood marker that says we can move on to the next step. But from my experience working with patients, this is what I see. And this is, you know, maybe it's not the best time to move forward. Maybe they want to see more progress in other areas. Um, that said, I think that we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but when you're talking about the protocol, some of it is kind of... Um, co-done. Co so there, there are certain steps you do, like the binder is typically throughout the length of the protocol. And then you have like the Marcon's treatment through this amount of the protocol. But then, you know, you have your big binder line up here. You might also have like, once you clear the Marcon's, here's your Lyme treatment. So it's going to look like this staggered approach. Um, all to say, like, I wouldn't feel like you aren't making progress if you weren't doing everything at once. A really important part of the Shoemaker protocol is making sure that the patient feels as good as possible throughout the entirety of treatment. It's 12 to 18 months. You don't want to like, this isn't a sprint. <laughs> it's a marathon. You will get there. And the fastest way to get there is to get there feeling as good as possible. That way you don't have to stop everything and restart over and over again. So beautifully said, JC. Um, thank you for that. So that uh, that's about it on, on our membership questions. Uh, first one here is that she doesn't have a specific question. She's just feeling overwhelmed. Uh, learned so much about MCAS and um, Ehlers-Danlos. I don't know what the heck my problem is on that. I know note, what I... that is. So anyone who oh, can do this, you yeah. very likely have Ehlers-Danlos. Can I? I can. 
I don't oh, know. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually associated with SIRS. So um, Ehlers-Danlos is very common for SIRS patients. Um, and there are other, like, besides being able to do cool tricks with your thumbs, <laughs> there are <laughs> negative sides to having Ehlers-Danlos too. Um, the cool thing is, is a lot of people notice their symptoms improve with SIRS treatment along with um, MCAS, which is mast cell activation syndrome. Um, so I saw... There was a question right below that that said, I'm curious to know more about MCAs also, like how that works alongside SIRS. The symptoms seem so similar. So mast cell activation syndrome. Mast cells are the cells you have in your body and they respond to uh, anything that is a foreign body. So the mast cells have these little tentacles and on the end of the tentacles are histamines. And histamines are an inflammatory protein that are released in response to a foreign body so that your body can help try to eliminate it. Um, typically, histamines, people will think of things like allergic reactions. What happens when you have SIRS is you have this biotoxin in your body that you are genetically predisposed to being really bad at eliminating. Your body recognizes that it's foreign, but it can't create the antibodies to actually help you remove it. So these biotoxins are just floating around like a pinball machine, touching the MCAs all the time or touching the mast cells all the time. And so what this causes is your mast cells are constantly releasing histamines and eventually they start releasing histamines even in the absence of a foreign body. So like they're so sensitive, like they're so wired, they're like waiting for the biotoxin to hit them at any time that anything you put into your body can make your mast cells respond. So when you're saying the symptoms are really similar, Mast cell activation syndrome is actually a symptom of SIRS and removing the biotoxins and giving your uh, mast cells the time to like repair and heal from that trauma um, can be, go a long way in helping you heal that. And then there are co-therapies um, you can do that your SIRS provider might recommend. One is like chromalin sodium. I did that one. Um, it's a mast cell stabilizer. So what that does is it helps your mast cells hold on to the histamines. They're less likely to release them. Um, and then there's also like H2, H1 inhibitors that they might recommend. Wow. Thank you for that, JC, uh, educating all of us on that. But I, I also want to add, because uh, I've seen this happen as well with a couple other members, the MCAS reaction can actually get worse as you start treatment a little bit. It, it just depends on your sensitivities. I JC kind of touched on that already, but um, I definitely noticed for the first time once I started binders, uh, getting like kind of a rash in the sun, for example, little, little things like that, nothing detrimental for me. And I was able to push through it and I was fine. It really wasn't severe, but some people can get more severe reactions. So it's just something to keep an eye out for. And the reason behind that, come on, let's nerd out a little bit. Yeah, please. Um, always. So your biotoxins are actually stored in your fat cells. And so the, the binders that we take, they're cholesterol meds and they strip your cell walls of fat. And when they strip it of fat, they're taking the biotoxins with them. So if you imagine you have a jar full of water and there's sand at the bottom, taking binders is kind of like shaking that jar. So now instead of like a baseline level of like biotoxins floating around, you are increasing the load of biotoxins in your blood, which is why it's kind of counterintuitive. Some providers recommend very slowly ramping up the binders, and then some recommend taking higher doses of the binders to try and like get as much of that sand to settle as possible. Um, so you might see kind of conflicting recommendations, and the providers are pretty good about recommending that based on the individual patient experience. Beautiful. Yes. Always rely on your doctor for that guidance um, and let them know if you're having bad reactions. Always keep them in the loop on that. 
Uh, next question. My memory seems to be getting worse and worse. Does anyone have experience with memory getting much better with treatment? I am kind of nervous to see my neuroquant. First of all, good job getting the neuroquant. Um, that's excellent to do. If you have a lot of cognitive issues and things with memory, it's a good idea to get that. Uh, just and that is an MRI that measures volume of different structures in your brain. And they have clinical standards for SERS patients in terms of the volume loss that they see. So it's a helpful diagnostic tool that can help direct your treatment protocol. Yes. And to answer your question, um, my, my memory has gotten better. Um, a lot of the brain fog lifting, I didn't even know how bad my brain fog was until it was gone. Um, one funny side effect, I guess, is that my thoughts are now racing so fast that I actually feel like, uh, I'm my, my ADHD symptoms have seemed to like kicked up a little bit, uh, because my brain is like operating more, uh, fully words. Uh, <laughs> JC can say it more eloquently than I can, but what was your experience with memory? <laughs> you know, I, d I don't think I realized if you had asked me when I started search treatment, what my worst symptoms were, it would have been like the joint pain. That would have been the thing that I wanted to escape. And maybe secondary was sleep. Like, oh my gosh, if I could get a good night's sleep, I would have like actually murdered for that. Um, but then after the protocol, the biggest difference I had and like the, the thing I'm most thankful for is like, I feel like myself again, I feel like I have my brain back. And I think part of it was, I always felt like I was thinking through mud. It was like everything that used to be easy for me, like reading became difficult. It was difficult to concentrate on a wall of text. It was difficult to organize thoughts and think critically. It was I think part of the reason people with SERS become so reactive is because we don't have the same ability to have like logical thought processes as we maybe did before. And that feels like really scary, especially if you have this before and after disparity of like things used to make sense to me and now they're not making sense to me anymore. And so I would say that was like one of the, that that's my favorite part of SERS treatment is feeling like myself again and having my brain back. Yeah, a fun little anecdote from myself is that I really was struggling reading. Uh, just like I would read the same sentence over and over again, and and it wasn't getting in. Uh, after treatment from about last year, I started treatment in July. I read the entire Harry Potter series from September to mid December, and uh, loved it. By the way, but like I would not have been able to do that um, before treatment. So I am thankful for that. Next question is, um, I know everyone is different in terms of their healing process. I'm curious how long it took the two of you to start feeling better once you were in clean living and taking CSM. JC, you first. I love this question. Uh, thank you for qualifying it with once you were in clean living, because I actually started my treatment while I was still being exposed and I had like some initial benefit and I don't know how much of that was like psychosomatic or placebo to be like, oh, thank goodness. I'm finally like on this path to healing. But I accidentally came to Colorado from Florida to dog sit for a weekend and I immediately felt better. And then I was like, I need to stay here. Like I, I need this for my healing. And then once I was in this environment, it was two months on full dose binders where I had my first pain-free day in a year. So I, it's hard with SERS treatment because it's not like binary like that, right? It's not like I have all the SERS symptoms and then suddenly I'm hundred <laughs> percent. It's a very like, there's 
what 37 different symptoms associated with SIRS. And so like the progress of each of those symptoms is going to be very different. One really cool thing that my SIRS provider did at the start of each of our appointments is he would ask me how I was doing on each of those things. I, I can't remember. I think it was like a one to five scale. I think so. I would, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was cool to see the progress over time because I didn't even realize it. I didn't like in my day to day, I didn't realize how much better I was getting until he would show me the differences in the scores. And in the group, we actually have a symptom tracker. So you can do this for yourself. Um, the one thing I will say is that if you can do your symptom tracking at the same time, kind of like same situation every week, um, it's going to give you a much more accurate representation for myself. I know like my, my joint pain, is typically worse in the morning. So like for me, it might make sense to do my symptom tracking in the evening, whereas someone who has more like cognitive decline throughout the day, they might want to do it in the morning. Perfect. And I have a slightly different story, but still hopeful, I think. Um, so my main reason for coming to SIRS treatment was like GI issues. I still have those right now. But the reason for that is my MSH isn't high enough for my body to kind of repair itself. And I haven't been able to get to the last step of VIP. So still very hopeful on all of those fronts and uh, working through a lot of that. Uh, if you follow the podcast, we give updates on, on all of that stuff. But to answer your question, I moved from California, where I was born and raised, to Nevada, Las Vegas specifically, and felt better. This was way before SIRS before I knew it. Well, not way, but like six months before I found out about SIRS. Um, so that helped. Um, and I have tested my home and it's pretty, pretty decent. Um, so yes, that was a big factor. I then started treatment the following year. And I would say like the brain fog and the fatigue, which again, I did not realize how terrible it was until it was gone took about, I would say four to six weeks to really notice a difference and maybe three months on the binders to be like, yes, I am me again. Um, and there were some like work opportunities that came along within a month of starting the binders that I absolutely know I would not have been able to take on had I started even just a little later on treatment. So I'm, I'm very thankful for the way the timing worked out. And as much as my brain does still bounce around a little bit, um, I, I'm much more cognitively there and able to, you know, record a live webinar right now with JC. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to beforehand. So next, next question is peripheral neuropathy has come up in the chat group this week. How is that manifested? Is that the toxins are blur blocking neural connections? Will binders eventually help alleviate the symptom? So I can actually think of three different ways, at least that... SIRS can manifest in peripheral neuropathy. One is, yes, the direct impact of the biotoxins. They directly impact your nerve function, which is part of the reason why the VCS works is that it's directly impacting the nerve function of your eye. So you have the reduced ability to see ble uh, blurred lines, but that can also manifest as peripheral neuropathy. And for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like losing the feeling in your fingertips, which is why I keep going like this. I'm not just being like, <laughs> and it can be quite painful too. Like it's losing feeling, but it's also like the the neurons are like, firing in, in not appropriate ways. And yeah, it can be, there's there, I uh, actually worked for someone who had it and he had a, a, a nurse come to his house and do an infusion every, like every month he had to have this like type of infusion to keep the symptoms at bay. Of course, I didn't know about SIRS back then, but I was going to yes. say, it sounds like SIRS. <laughs> yes. 100%. He lives on the ocean and had a yacht. Like, I mean, he's, he's fancy. He was fancy, but, but yeah, he, there was a lot of situations where water damage was around. Another Sorry. way is VEGF. So VEGF is one of the hallmark blood markers in SIRS and it's, uh, 
vasoepithelial growth factor. So it actually helps you grow capillaries in like tiny structures to help oxygenate those structures. So if your VEGF is out of range, that could be a reason you're experiencing peripheral neuropathy. And then the third one I can think of is electrolyte imbalances. So anything that um, impacts your blood flow, like or electrolyte regulation would be something that can cause peripheral neuropathy. So to answer the second part of your questions, will binders eventually help alleviate the symptom? Yes, binders and the um, supportive surge therapies, depending on what is causing that neuropathy. So for the biotoxin effect, the binders will help remove the biotoxin for VEGF exercise and a low amylose diet. And then for electrolytes, um, most people end up doing electrolytes uh, supplementation. Some people do end up taking medication, like prescription medication to help with um, the ADH osmolality. But I think that's uh, less common these days. Uh, we're seeing much more people just do electrolyte supplementation. Uh, next question was asked and answered in the chat, but I think it's good enough to bring up as well uh, here. It's how far is it necessary to take thyroid meds from binders? And the response from someone else was uh, that their doctor had told him, uh, I'm sorry, sure, her uh, three hours. So I take my thyroid meds, wait an hour to eat, and then wait two hours to take CSM. Uh, again, talk with your doctor to be sure of what's right for you, but that's that sounds consistent with what I've heard as well with thyroid yeah. medication. And that's going to be dependent on the thyroid medication you're taking as well. So definitely talk to your provider. Uh, MCAS, do you recommend pills or nasal chromalin? Um, I took, it's a like saline solution. I can actually grab one. No, I can't. Um, they're like little vials and you just add them to water. Like you dilute them in water and then drink them. Um, I think that it used to be something that you would put into like a diffuser type situation, but they're not recommending that anymore. They just have you drink the vial. That's, I haven't seen a single provider recommend inhaling it. Yeah. You don't necessarily need the nebulizer thing for it. And also do remember to dilute I didn't remember one time and it stung a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that was bad. I, I survived. It was fine, but just uh, definitely dilute it. <laughs> it is like sodium. It's a uh, chromium yeah. sodium. So <laughs> like, that's a very it stung. It was like, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> it was not a pleasant experience. Um, how can I get a NeuroQuant MRI? Uh, can I simply ask uh, to uh, a neurologist? Um, I would go to survivingmold.com. Um, they have the specifications for the neuroquant there, and it's very um, specific in terms of the settings they need for the MRI. So I would definitely try to go through your shoemaker provider rather than through a neurologist. They might not be familiar with what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like an add-on to a regular MRI. And so you really want to be sure, like verbally confirm with your person who's about to do the test that they know it's this special add-on and to please double check that all everything they're doing is correct. Otherwise, you may end up with an MRI without the neuroquant aspect of it. And then that's not really helpful. So just, just that's why you want to make sure that you you go through your doctor if you can, or at least uh, go to Surviving Mold and get more information on that. Um, ah, lots of good help in the chat. Thanks guys. Um, um I think the so next one is, is there anyone in the SARS group in Europe? I would like to connect with someone who is more close, lives more closely to where I live. Um, so off the top of my head, I can think of two in England, one in Denmark and one in Germany. 
are you talking about members or practitioners? Members, members. right? Yep. Okay, yep. yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a few to connect with within the SERS group. It's a great place to meet people and and uh, uh, share resources in that way. We do, um, there are some uh, international resources on survivingmold.com as well. I've noticed that they've been updated relatively recently. I think there is some kind of effort going on in the shoemaker camp of getting the word out beyond the States. Cause I know it is pretty difficult to get treatment, proper treatment outside of the States. So there are efforts going on in that direction. Uh, next one. Do you have to have a shoemaker doctor to get a Neuroquant MRI ordered? Can my doctor order it through my insurance? And then can I pay someone to interpret it? Uh, yes. The answer is yes. Quickly to that. Um, you do, like I said, want, want to, work with a doctor or just make sure you got the right thing and all that, you know, whoever you're paying to interpret it later, for example, just make sure that, that you might just want to run it by them to make sure you're getting the right thing. But yes, by all means, go through your regular doctor if they are willing, because the more you can get covered by insurance, the better. Question. Do you know the difference between the plant fiber binders, psyllium husk versus okra and beet fiber? Yeah, so psyllium husk is the incorrect charge. So I believe that biotoxins are negatively charged and most uh, generic binders like psyllium husk, uh, clay, charcoal, they're the wrong charge. So they won't actually grab on to the biotoxins. They will grab onto other toxins. So they do have a role later on in the protocol if you do want to do some detoxing. Um, but the okra and beet fiber, and it's not just okra or beets, they're just the most effective. Um, the same fibrous material is found in certain trees and carrots is another one, which is interesting in the context of talking about like Ray Peters who love carrots. Um, just saying, just throwing that one out there. Um, but yeah, uh, it's mostly the charge for that one. It's not necessarily the receptor cell size. It's the charge. Next question is what can I do right now while removing myself from exposure? Yeah, I think, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, go, you know, if you got it, go for it. <laughs> I was going to say, like, if you're still in exposure and you're working on removing yourself from exposure, there, there are things you can do to, like, support yourself right now so that when you, you can start getting on the binders and doing, like, significant healing, you kind of have a little bit of a head start. Um, one thing I would look into is starting your lipid replacement. Um, you want to start that about four weeks before you do get on the binder. Um, and so different people will do different things. Personally, I really like Oma Prime. I take two in the morning and two at night. Um, that has been my preferred. And I've, I've, I did the picoline, I did like different fish oils, and that's kind of what I settled on and what I prefer now. Um, another thing you can do is limbic retraining. So really working on the mental aspect, you have a long road ahead of you. And so as positive as you can make your mindset default as you go down this journey, it's going to be super helpful. And then just educating yourself, um, giving yourself tools and resources so that when you do get to certain steps in the protocol, you have that information available to you, or at least you know where to get that information from. Yeah. And I'll just add that, um, you know, JC and I have the sneaky suspicion that most people who are really obsessed with biohacking are probably suffering with SIRS. Not always, but a lot. Um, if you enjoy, if cold plunges make you feel amazing, you're insane. Just kidding. You're not. Uh, but you may have SIRS if that's the case. And the reason I bring that up is you might want to look into some biohacks, some that are 
within your price range, easy to do, um, for example, sauna, going tanning, um, getting outside, you know, being exposed to the sun, if you can tolerate that. Any Anything um, fresh air oriented, uh, all of that can be good also for uh, helping you feel a little bit better as well. Uh, uh, if you Oh, one more thing. Yes. Get yourself to a point where you're pooping every day. Oh, <laughs> like if you're so not important. already. Yes. yes. So with the binders, a huge side effect is constipation. So if you can like figure out what you need to be able to go every day, um, I know for me, magnesium chloride has been the key um, to helping me go every day, very consistently, very regularly. And if you can get like in a really good situation with that, when you start the binders, then it's just a matter of tweaking it up or tweaking it down, depending on your reaction. Perfect. Yes. <clears throat> so important. Um if you can't take binders yet, do you think it's worthwhile or helpful to start the okra binder in the meantime? And do you also have to space it from supplements? Hmm. The big thing with the okra or beet binders, uh, the big side effect that some people can experience is it is very high in oxalate content. Um, so if you are someone who's oxalate sensitive, you may not tolerate them well. If you feel like you're not oxalate sensitive, then it may be a really great thing for you to start um, just as a way to like kickstart your healing before you do get on the RX binders. The ochre binders and the beet binders are effective. They're just um, less effective than cholestyramine and wall call. So you'll have to be them on them for a much longer period of time. And of course, you're building up um, the oxalate uh, load as the longer you take them. So that's the the big downside is the time and then the oxalates. And yes, you do have to space them from other supplements the same way you would CSM or wall call. Um, at what point in the treatment did people get rid of their POTS symptoms? I used to be strict carnivore, but would get pretty severe POTS symptoms. I now also eat carbs, which largely takes care of the POTS uh, symptoms. And consequently, I need less salt, but I get crazy bloated for context. I think I need somewhere between 20 and 100 grams of carbs a day to not feel like death. So uh, POTS or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome is uh it's a very 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 commonly associated like manifestation of SIRS um and basically what it means is like it's very hard for you to stand upright it's very hard for you to take warm showers we kind of joke that if you might have SIRS if you have to take sit down showers and this was definitely true for me um it was very difficult for me to like stand in hot steamy shower um, without feeling very lightheaded to the point where I, I started thinking it was dangerous for me to shower. Um, and that's why I started taking sit-down showers. Um, but in terms of those symptoms alleviating, I think I was two months into the binder um, when I started standing up in the shower again. Um, so two months full dose out of exposure on the binder is when I started noticing those symptoms become alleviated. Now the, um, the, the carb conversation in this is kind of interesting because it has to do with the type of metabolism associated with SIRS, where you are less efficient at producing ATP in lactic environments. So even though carnivore makes a lot of people with SIRS feel better, um, it also has this manifestation of making us feel like this kind of like weird baseline of kind of shitty. Um, and it's because of the hypometabolism, our body has to work so much harder to produce energy. So a lot of people find that eating, um, in the range, Chris said 20 to 100 grams of carbs a day makes them feel a lot better and alleviates some of their symptoms as well. Yeah, I will just 
just echo the fact that I I kind of have experienced this myself. I'm I'm lightheaded when I uh, eat clean carnivore, unfortunately, and and no amount of electrolytes or other things seems to really affect that much. Um, so I'm I'm also going to be experimenting with adding a little bit of like like whole like like fruit or something like that. Like nothing, um, not my usual monthly donut, guys. I'm gonna try to stay away from that and and do you know again still low amylose, low starch, you know no sugar, all that kind of stuff. Um, just to uh, play with that and experiment, and I'll certainly update if if I notice a difference. And that's um, the thing I'll add about the the bloating is there are all of like the leaky gut things associated with SIRS. So like low amylose, low starch is really important. Um, some of us don't tolerate dairy well because of the anti-gliadin antibodies, which also makes it hard for us to eat uh, gluten. Um, so the intersection of like the diets that you can eat when you have SIRS is like low amylose, uh, autoimmune protocol. Um, a lot of people anecdotally have good experience with gaps, um, eating like small amounts of fermented stuff to kind of ramp up your digestive system again. So if you haven't looked into that, that's like another kind of rabbit hole I might pursue. Yeah. Dr. Uh, Natasha Campbell McBride wrote, um, the gap, all, all of the gaps oriented books. I have it in the back of my bookshelf. Um, really it's, it's compl It can be complicated, but if you take like the, the principles of the diet and maybe not necessarily, you don't necessarily have to follow it to a T to experience the benefits. The reason I bring that up is it is a very complicated, it's a, there's a lot of rules to that, to the diet. So if that feels overwhelming to you, if you can just go with those, like some of the basic rules of like the fermented uh, vegetables and then mostly meat and broth. That's like the core of what GAPS is. That can be really helpful as well. Um, I recently learned that GAPS shakes, like the huge thing they recommend in the GAPS diet is like mostly beet juice. And it's like, oh, y'all are taking binders. Oh, that's crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, all roads lead to sirs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um. I, I'm, I really like this next question. Um, I find myself in perpetual loop of pushing and crashing any recommendations to break this cycle. I, I will say I experienced this, especially mentally more than physically personally. Um, and I, I really do, I will be so productive one day and then an actual potato the next and it, like mentally and the things that I can handle. Um, and uh, someone jumped in with some great advice uh, saying, I know it's hard, but if you can feel good, if you feel good and like I can do more, don't, don't push it. Go give yourself a break. I actually have calendared breaks in my day and I run my own businesses and we, you know, we do this. So, so it's, I can kind of make my own schedule. So I do feel lucky in that. But if you can like really put in buffers for yourself, always put a buffer in after meetings, um, give yourself time for your brain to be off leash, so to speak, when that can be, you know, something as, I don't know, unuseful as like scrolling Instagram or something, but it can also be just like staring out the window or, you know, watching a, a goofy TV show. If you're able to stop and, and do that, something that's totally mindless, but gives your brain that chance to like recoup from all of the focus and the the executive functioning that you've been trying to do for any stretch of amount of time. Uh, JC, I would love to hear if you have more to add to that, but uh, certainly on the physical side, I know you've dealt with that. 
Yeah, I would say for me, it's more physical and emotional than um, more of like the the mental. And I'll explain that for the physical. Prior to SIRS, I did fitness competition. So like working out is like, that is my mental health. <laughs> um, and so with SIRS, I had a lot of joint pain and that was really taken away from me. I wasn't mobile for a very long period of time. Um, and every time I would try and get back into it, I would be like, all right, like we're going to do a workout. And then I would do the workout and then I would crash for like the next three days. And I was like, how do I overcome this? So there's this great, terrible book called, um, what is it called? Surviving mold, surviving mold illness, surviving, uh, and thriving. surviving and thriving. Yeah. Um, it's great in terms of the tips. It's terrible in terms of the tone. Like, oh, it's like doomsday. You're never going to live with SIRS. And like, Barbara and I know that's not true because like, we are both like, good, you know, like we travel, we do things. So if you do pick up that book, um, try and think of it in that context of like, I'm just here for the practical tips, not for the like, you have to call a restaurant ahead of time to ask them if they've had water damage in order to eat there. Like, okay, guys, we can live normal lives. It's just a matter of like figuring out that in between for us. Anyways, sorry, tangent over. Um, one of the good recommendations in that book is to scale up your exercise. So they recommend doing like two minutes of exercise one week. And then the next week you do three minutes of exercise. And this is where like, this is the self-control, right? Like everyone thinks the self-control is like getting up and doing the thing you want to do, but it's like the self-control is knowing your limitations and deciding I'm going to do this. It's like Alyssa said, it's, it's deciding, you know what I, I might feel good now, but I know that if I, if I continue pushing, I'm not going to feel good. And so the self-control for me was like limiting myself to, I'm only going to do two minutes of exercise a day for this entire week. And that was really hard. That was really hard. Um, but it was the only way I was able to scale. Now I'm up to like, uh, 25 minute plus like resistance exercises and 45 minutes of walking every day. But it really was that very tiny scaled approach and just showing up every day for these tiny little baby workouts. And then the second piece for me has been emotional processing. I think there's something about the SIRS journey, like as you're healing, and I'm not the only person who's experienced this, is like you are given the opportunity to process a lot of old trauma. We know that a lot of people with SIRS have histories of trauma. Um, Grunning talked about this in the podcast we did with him um, about the ACEs score and just knowing that a lot of people with SIRS have a lot of trauma. And I think through that healing process, when you're actually able to physiologically heal your brain, it then allows you that time and space and energy and bandwidth to deal with like emotional processing and emotional trauma. And that's something I avoided for a long time, even before SIRS. And so it has very much been this opportunity to like feel my feelings. And I'm constantly reminded that if I try and push that aside and not prioritize that in my life, I'm going to have the crash. I can give an example. This week, I was reminded of a, a good friend who had a horrible thing happen to them, and I had taken personal responsibility for it in certain aspects. And that was actually what started my limbic training back in January. But something happened this week. I was reminded of this person. And in the context of a normal week, it probably wouldn't have impacted me very much. But because I had been avoiding all of this emotional processing, it just broke me down. And so the thing I'll say about that is, and maybe this goes for the mental aspect to some extent too, is like just when you have to prioritize it. You can't shove it to the side and say like, I'll deal with this later or I'll just keep pushing through. With SIRS, there is no pushing. You, you have to address it now or that crash is going to come. 
And I think it's that. I think I think it's realizing you have to prioritize your wellness right now, always. Such an important lesson, uh, JC. Thank you for saying all of that. And I I will add too that in my own um, SIRS healing, I made the maybe crazy decision to also start processing some pretty heavy trauma with a psychologist. And um, she was, I was very lucky. I know how hard it is to find a good one. Uh, I found a good one and she is wonderful. Um, and I will, if anyone's in California, I can refer you to her, but she, she is fantastic. And she helped me process a lot of things as I was also working with a surge practitioner and, and dealing with my, my physical health as well, because of course we know those things are very tied together. So it was almost my own limbic retraining, but in, in, you know, psychotherapy specifically. So if that's something where you're in a really heavy place, um, and need to process that stuff, I do encourage that, um, try a few different therapists, even tell them in your first meeting with them, I am interviewing several, uh, please, you know, let me, let me finish that process. And then I'll come back to you kind of thing, like give yourself whatever you need, to see several, and I know that's exhausting because you're repeating your story to several people, but find find a good one. I think that it's worth that energy and time if you can handle that when you feel ready to do that. It's it's well worth it. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely encourage that as well. Um, I have a question that was uh, DM'd to me, JC, so I know you can't see it. Um, it's pretty detailed, so I'm going to just summarize the, uh, this person has some other comorbidities, which means additional illnesses uh, or, or really, I should say, really bad symptoms that are probably root cause SIRS. Um, this, in this case, it's like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. It's major, major um, GI disease, really. And what would be our advice to somebody who's working with a SIRS practitioner, but that is not their specialty necessarily? Um, and they're, I mean, this, uh, the other things are like really debilitating. And I know that you, you had the personal experience with this. Um, so what, what would your advice be to somebody who is kind of not getting the support they need from their serious doctor, even though that doctor is fantastic at what they do, um, where, do, where does someone go to kind of like marry all of that together? Yeah. So I think first it's important to talk about the connection between SIRS and autoimmune disease. So SIRS, um, it manifests in a lot of different ways. There's those 37 symptoms associated with SIRS arranged into the 13 symptom clusters that we use for the diagnostic process. But then a lot of us have like bonus symptoms. Um, for me, SIRS put so much pressure on my transcriptome that it very likely turned on certain genes that gave me autoimmune condition. Um, for me, it was HLA-B27, which manifested as ankylosing spondylitis. For some people, it might be Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, et cetera, et cetera. When we're talking about SIRS doctors, we are so lucky that they know about SIRS. We're so lucky that they are these experts in the Shoemaker Protocol. But to your point, they are not experts in every other disease. We can't expect that of any doctor, nor should we want that from any doctor. We don't want someone who's like generally good at everything. We want someone who's really good at SIRS so that they can turn that off so that it's not continuously triggering the autoimmune symptoms. But then in addition to that, you may want to seek help from someone who is a specialist in your autoimmune condition. And kind of to tie this with the question I do see in our group chat here, um, 
especially for anything GI, I would go to Judy, Nutrition with Judy, Judy Cho. It's like, that's that's her thing. That's her wheelhouse. She has helped so many people with that. Um, that might be another good avenue to go. Like if you don't want to go the, um, you know, traditional doctor route, perhaps working with someone um, in the nutrition space, Nutrition with Judy to help you through navigate that would that that's where my mind would go. That is probably what I would pursue. Right. And that kind of goes right on into um, our next one. Uh, she says she's about to switch SIRS doctors and is wondering if she should seek out gut health from Nutrition with Judy because she can only eat one food currently, or should she just keep waiting to see the SIRS doctor and it will resolve itself? So I kind of did this exact thing. Um, I had to switch doctors. Um uh, because that that one was no longer seeing out of state um, patients, and so in the interim, when I was like trying to figure out which doctor I wanted to switch to, I did work with Judy, um, and it was helpful to have some guidance that was obviously very carnivore based, given that's the way that I live. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, I will say that from my experience. I think I need to be further along in the protocol before my gut will heal. And maybe that's a self-limiting belief. Maybe there's more that I could do to um, support my gut. Nutrition with Judy gave me amazing, an amazing plan of action on what supplements to take and when and what to eat and like all of that. So if you want, if you want that kind of guidance and you want someone who knows, you know, people with GI issues, as Judy, as JC just said, Judy is perfect for that. Um, so I am actually, I kind of put a pause on um, working with Judy just so that I can continue on with the SIRS practitioner work. And I am fully expecting, I will be shocked if I don't need this, but I am fully expecting to eventually come back to Judy for the gut healing aspect when SIRS is more a thing of my past. That's not true. I mean, we all have SIRS kind of forever, but you know what I mean? Like once I heal more from SIRS and specifically my MSH raises, um, and then my gut can handle healing itself. I think these supportive supplements are going to have more of an impact. I may also need to treat for SIBO or CIFO, uh, which is small intestinal bacterial or fungal overgrowth. Um, so that those are directions I'm anticipating needing to go later. That said, if you're only able to eat one food, that's where I would probably jump in and work with Judy. Cause that's a very difficult place to live. Um, I mean, that's, you know, I know Michaela Peterson talks a lot about that. She literally had to be on lion diet. Like the ideal, the goal should be to have more resiliency than that and to be able to eat a variety of things because you want to not and and not because you have to only eat one thing. My wording on that was terrible. Sorry for the grammar. Um, JC, do you have anything to add? No, I think that's perfect. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be very bio individual, but hopefully that gives you a little more context in terms of like where our mindset would be. And I'm the last thing I'll add the cool thing about working with Judy is she like works with some SERS patients, right? So she knows about GI and she knows about SERS, but she works with people who work with all sorts of different providers. So she kind of gets to like see how different people are being treated, how they're progressing. And so then make recommendations based on what she's seen from like this collaborative um, data set. Um, so I'll say that's one more cool thing about working with Judy that you wouldn't necessarily get from working with an individual SERS provider. 
Beautiful. Um, someone did comment um, that they agree, but Judy cannot prescribe, like, for example, Chromalin. So um, that is correct. I think if she found that um, you needed something that was prescription prescription based, um, she may have a doctor referral or she may um, ask you to ask your doctor, you know, give you that recommendation to look at it with your general practitioner. Um, so, so there are, there are ways around that if she finds that necessary, but most of the things, everything she recommended to me were not prescription based. They were all supplements that I could purchase over the counter. Uh, someone asked, how can you find out if you have issues with oxalates? Is there anything that can help flush it starting beet, ochre beet binders? Um, so oxalates can manifest in a few different ways. One very like hallmark one is joint pain, which can be kind of confusing because SERS patients can have joint pain already. Um, I would look into the work of, because I know we're running out of time here, look into the work of Sally K. Norton. She's kind of like the oxalate queen, queen of oxalates. Um, so she's going to have really great information for you there. Um, but in terms of oxalate dumping, you kind of just have to avoid oxalates in order for your body to remove it. So what I would do is if I started with ochre beet binders and then I noticed my symptoms uh, associated with oxalates specifically, which I would get the list from Sally, um, is then I would like look at if my symptoms increased, maybe not take those binders. Perfect. Um, someone has a colonoscopy next week and they're nervous. Um, no one in mainstream medicine recognizes MCAS type symptoms and sensitivities to everything. Is there anything they should know about going into it next week or be aware of? I don't know anything about colonoscopies. I'm sorry. I know that like they make you drink something ahead of time. And then I don't know if they give you medications during the treatment. Um, I would just look at like the protocol they give you as a whole and see like if you personally know that you react to any of those or have any concerns, definitely bring it up with your provider. Yeah. And that's something that if you're in the SERS group, I would encourage you to put, make a post in the SERS group and ask about that. I'm sure there are members uh, that have had colonoscopies or were advised by their practitioner not to get one and, and why. And it might be interesting to hear both sides of those stories. Um Another question is, does Judy work with kids too? I think she does. Yeah. She loves working. In fact, she would work with nothing but kids if if she could. She loves kids. Um, that, that sounded weird. She loves adults too. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I think she would only work with kids if she could. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, screw adults. No, I'm kidding. The only reason uh, I work with adults is because they they have children no yeah. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding judy loves everyone um yeah. like just knowing judy on the like getting to meet her at sir's X and getting to know her is more than just like nutrition with judy the entity it's like she has such a heart for the community that is like her her reason for existence is like healing our community um and so she just she will always go as deep as it takes to make sure everyone's achieving root cause healing. And I think a huge part of that motivation is um, children and making sure they have the best possible life ahead of them. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, right on time, guys. That was uh, that was all of the questions. Look at that. Look at us go. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're going to be posting the webinar in the group. So if you want access to it right away, definitely make sure you're part of the SERS group. And then um, we actually have a podcast coming out um, before we're going to release this one online. So if you want early access to the recording, definitely make sure you're in the SERS group. Otherwise, eventually we will put it up on YouTube. Yes. And I will also um, be sending more emails out um, 
uh, regarding signing up and all that other fun stuff. So if you haven't gotten emails from the SERS group, which hopefully you have since you're here, um, check your spam as well to be sure. Um, so I'll be sending that out soon. But uh, And that's also where we will eventually send the link to. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for being here. Have a fantastic rest of your time, your weekend. <laughs> yes, thank you guys. Have a good one. Bye.